Hey there, Second City Hockey listeners, it's Dave Melton here, and before we get to the show, I wanted to let you in on a little secret. All of those ads you just heard, if you want to listen to the show without them, visit secondcityhockey.com and sign up for either one of our subscription tiers, where the perks include ad-free versions of the Musings on Madison podcast. And with the first overall selection in the 2023 NHL Draft, the Chicago Blackhawks are very proud to select from the Regina Pats, the Western Hockey League, Connor Bedard. Welcome in to another episode of Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, the site manager at Second City Hockey. You can find me on Twitter at DMelt57. And once again, just as a reminder, if you are listening to this and you haven't done so already, you can leave us a five-star review wherever it is you are listening to this podcast. Say something nice about us in reviews. If you leave us four stars or fewer, we'll assume you're a Blues fan. Uh, SecondCity.com, excuse me, SecondCityHockey.com is the website to go to for all of our games previews recaps game threads all season long along with the exclusive content which is available to our subscribers five bucks a month or ten bucks a month gets you into all the stuff we're going to be doing all season long details of that are at the website and we also have merchandise available for those who want to further support the website i've got two of my linemates with me this evening we are a little bit shorthanded up first she is the second city hockey bull and wall of text and she is not on twitter but her name at secondcityhockey.com is lbr it's Betsy. It's really fucking cold down here. <laughs> All right. Everybody please, please define really fucking cold because I, then me and Eric can laugh. <laughs> well, I mean, right now it's like in the forties, but like today it was like in the fifties and I don't, it's, it's the shock of the cold. Everybody knows I hate the South in the summer because it's so, so hot and humid, but like normally we have a fake fall and then we have like a two week fall and then we have winter and our winters are mild, but for some reason it decided we're not going to have a fake fall, but we are going to have a fake winter for like four days. And so it's been between the forties and fifties as you go back up into the seventies next week. But like, why? I don't, <laughs> I, see, I thought this was the time of the year where you stop hating the weather after hating it for all of the summer months. Well, it will be fine if it didn't just suddenly happen. It was 78 the other day was the high of the day. And you know, the, the night times were in the upper sixties and all of a sudden it's like 42 at night. Do you know how terrible it is to have to, in the middle of the night, walk down, turn the heater on. And then you're like, why I didn't, I don't have any of my big blankets out yet. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I, mean, I mean, Betsy got down to the low forties last weekend and I went camping. So no, I mean, had a space heater. We were prepared for the elements, but yes, one. I had to go. I had to go to my storage unit to find my winter clothes. I don't have anything long sleeve. I was like, "Oh, it's it's time." Except it's going to be in the seventies again next week (laughs) for like another week and a half. After that, it'll still still be in the seventies, and then it'll go start to trail down a little bit. But (laughs) it's cold. (laughs) All right. Well. uh, Next week, we look forward to the uh, the upcoming uh, Georgia weather report, the Georgia weather corner with Betsy, <laughs> whatever happens next week. Um, also with us this evening, the official Second City Hockey Pizza correspondent, Eric Gagenheimer. Uh, I did not watch the game last night. I went to a concert instead for a very loud, very good band. But I was within one mile of the United Center, and I had a couple hours to kill before the show started. And we could not find a single place to watch the Blackhawks game less than a mile from the United Center, which has always kind of bummed me out. Um, but for some reason, it especially kind of bummed me out, given the, the excitement that's happened in the last week or so. So places by the United Center. Somebody get a TV. I'll go there next time. Let's even go. like, I mean, I feel like even like the Billy Goat didn't have the Husky game on TV. I mean, I know it's not really a bar more of a restaurant, but no, we were more up. We were by like Fulton and Lake. Oh, okay. Um, cause we were, we were, we ended up, it was at the Culver lounge. So we were over like more in that vicinity, but still you couldn't, if we climbed up on, uh, the, the L stop, the Ashland green, we could have seen the United center from there. We're close enough to see it from, from a height. So, 
but yeah, we, we tried to get it on the phone for a little bit and we were able to kind of follow along like that, but it would have been nice to go sit somewhere for like an hour and a half and watch the end of it. So, but most importantly, you said it was a very good, very loud band. So who was this band? It was holy fun. Oh, very good. Very excellent. Yeah. Very good. Very loud. Very good. Very loud. Yes. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll uh, we'll talk about we'll we'll introduce them after the show to you. Betsy, they sure. were they're from Arizona, so they were also complaining about how cold it is when it was forty eight <laughs> degrees last night. So you would have you would have gotten along well in that regard, Betsy. That's good to know. <laughs> I like how Dave, when he's like, "I went camping," the no, the like <laughs> no that came out of you that was came, that came from it was, somewhere deep inside. That was. <laughs> It was pure emotion. It was yeah. like a visceral reaction. It's so cold. Why would you go outside? I don't. I don't want to do that. There's a fire. Yeah, only when you're near it, and yeah. then you take five steps away, and you're like, "Now I'm cold again." I don't like that. I'm That's an indoor why, person, apparently. That's why you build a big fire. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. All right. Speaking of cold things, you guys want to talk about some ice hockey? Yeah. Ah, there we go. Nailed the segue. Uh, so we're, we're here to talk about the Blackhawks after four games of actual real life, regular season hockey with Connor Bedard in it and everything. And I say that name specifically because uh, there's a lot of things to talk about from the first four games. But I think the most obvious thing to discuss initially are is our first impressions of young Connor Bedard, uh, the number one overall pick in this year's draft um, hyped up for years. I mean, I, I don't think it's possible to summarize the hype around him in a mere few sentences for a podcast. So I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to ask Betsy what stood out to you in the first four games of the Connor Bedard era. The way that he transitions, like that might seem like the silliest thing, but he hasn't scored yet, even though uh, like a real shot, off of like what we consider his like amazing shot. He hasn't scored that yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And his passing has been great, but like, honestly, most of his, most of the players have fumbled them. Um, (laughs) And it's getting a little frustrating actually, but just the way that he effortly puck handles through legitimate NHL players at this point, you know, Um, I know Klingberg, for example, is not really like he's, he's cannot play defense. He's trailed down, but like, Connor Bedard made him look <laughs> like like Tenorti. You know, like that <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> so it's good. Uh, well, it's it's good for us. It's yes, good for us if somebody's gonna be watching him. <laughs> but it's it it's been fun to watch him do that. Um he doesn't seem to care about the physicality. Like players have come at him and he's pretty much bounced back. So um, he needs to get a little bit like a little bit more like Patrick Kane was, um, where he know he just didn't get hit, you know, very much, if at all. You know, he had that little water bug in him. And I think Bedard can get that really easily. Um, but his anticipation is great. Everything he sees the ice at just like such a high level. Either again, the most the disappointing part is that currently none of the the, the teammates are really connecting with him fully, even Taylor Hall. Um Interestingly, the the players that have connected with him the most are Reichel on the power play, um, and Korchinski has had a, a couple of really good give and go moments with him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he transitions as he plays more. Will he like lower himself to them and like adjust to them? Which I think he will. I think he's just got the smarts for it. Or will they adjust his line mates to him? So. I think the the thing you mentioned about how like the only goal he scored so far was on a wraparound. And that is abs- like the the talk about him, uh, the, the biggest talking point about him and his skill set was the shot that he has. And obviously wraparound is not a great indicator of that. And and I feel like the the one specific type of goal that you saw on so many of Connor Bedard's highlights in the juniors was he would skate into the zone right at a defenseman. And then he would either pull up and create some space or j- move just a little bit left or right usually dragging the puck with him and open up the angle and then just blister it under the bar past the goalie. And it feels like he's tried to do that at the NHL level. And every time he's done that, either the back check is caught up to him or the defenders poked it off his stick because it's the NHL, not juniors anymore. So I think once he figures out how to turn that mode of attack into a goal, you're going to see the goal start to pile up and it feels like it's probably coming soon. Yeah, it would be again, nice if, 
he wasn't doing it all on his own. Like there's, there are some moments where he's just so far ahead of other players, you know, like they've got to figure out the, the, like the flow with him a little bit better. Um, And again, like uh, thinking back to when Kane came into the thing and he was like this offensive dynamite player, Taves was just as good um, in his own right, just slightly different type of player. Right. And then they had sharp with them and they just went, wild they could go wild um and taylor hall can be taylor hall i think he's still good but like donato is donato um so they've got to figure that out not i'm sorry Uh (laughs) um and then of course yeah i just i want i kind of want them to like let them go wild and figure it out um because i think that would help too with with bedard trying to figure out his own timing with his shot too like it's a whole just he's just got to get the flow of the NHL together but you can only do that if you just like take the reins off and let him do whatever he wants with whoever he wants essentially what about you Eric what have you seen well I'll only bring this up every single podcast until the end of time but one of us (laughs) was in the building for Connor Bedard's first goal and that person is me I'm pointing at myself with my thumbs which obviously no one can see right now um, famously a visual medium, these podcasts. Famously a visual medium. No, I mean, he, in writing a bunch of articles about him last year and watching a lot of his goals, he scores in a lot of different ways. So in some ways, it's kind of fitting that his first goal was not what we would assume would kind of traditionally have been his first goal. Um, but it was still, it's all the things that maybe aren't so obvious about him, which he had a nice give and go with Donato on that one. He took kind of a weird fluky shot from a weird angle, but the sense to kind of follow it up and the instinct to stay around the outside. And then, I mean, it was there for a second and you can see him check that Olmark is still hugging the post on the opposite side. And he just wrapped it around super fast. And I mean, he almost ended up with a second goal. I think it was his next shift. Um, that was also kind of on a give and go and it came and he just couldn't lift it over Omar's pad. I think it, that one came back to him from Felino. So, you know, everybody always talks about Austin Matthews and him as having kind of similar shots. And Matthews kind of surprised everybody and caught them by storm, you know, when he first came in. But there was an article last week. And someone referenced it. I think it was Powers. But essentially, like, Austin Matthews has had to redo his shot, like, three times as the league has gotten adjusted to it and kind of gotten the book on it. He's worked on release points and launch angles. So that's what we're kind of seeing Bedard do right now. You know, you mentioned his timing's not the same. And obviously in the WHL, he's they're terrified of him when he's coming down (laughs) open ice. So he goes this way or that. And just as often you'd see a lot of breakaways and a lot of moves in close because he's faking the shot. They're respecting the shot so much. He just pulls it back and walks around him. Nobody's respecting the shot yet. They're expecting him to shoot. So I think you're seeing him try to dance and make moves with the puck a little bit more, especially in close. And sometimes it's working like it worked on Klinberg or like it worked on Pareko in, you know, that first preseason game where he's just Mm -hmm. walking guys. And so once the shot gets down and he gets it to where I think we all think that it's going to be, that will open up that a lot more too. So, I mean, it's a plus across the boards. I think we're all so excited and with good reason, you know, and that's, we haven't even really seen a lot of the stuff that he's known for. He hasn't capitalized on that yet, but same. Go ahead, Dave. I think that's exactly what I was going to say is just that, um, you know, he has in four games, he has one goal and two assists. And that feels like it feels like there's a lot more coming. And I think Ben Pope tweeted that out today that like he is producing shots and goal uh, shots and chances as much as Austin Matthews is. And the goals just haven't shown up yet, but it feels like they're on the way very soon here. So um, it's it just like feels just like a matter of time type of thing. So, um, yeah, well, like it, it there's it, it's hard to envision that there's not going to be a magic, a major spurt to scoring uh, uh, points and goals and assists out of him very soon. I think to me right now, the key is they got to put Korchinski on the first power play. They're, mm-hmm. they're just not getting enough from Seth Jones. And regardless, even if they were, I think Korchinski has an offensive level that Seth Jones 
just as not. And I think that will open it up a lot for them. And I think once he's able to kind of pot a couple and the power play is able to get a couple, you're going to see him get dangerous in a whole different way. So to me, I mean, that would be one thing that they could do if they feel like they need to kind of try to figure something out to kickstart him a little bit after these next few games. And if the power play is still kind of not doing very well, that would be something I'd, I'd look for them to do or I think that they should do that could help not only the power play, but could help him and kind of get him off. Not that he's not slumping or anything like that. <laughs> right? It's it's just, we haven't seen, you know, he hasn't had like one of those shots yet. Like we saw so many times in juniors from him. He has three points in four games and we're like, he can definitely do more. That's again, I, I think that is a good way to express just how good of a player this is um, that he. Three points in four games. I don't want to say disappointment because that's not the word for it, but it's like it feels like there's more within there to be mined, um, essentially. We're all kind of just sitting there waiting for that one goal, you know, that one shot to just break the seal. Uh Uh, I I actually really like Eric's idea of putting Korchinski like on the power play. I know the big um, knock against that normally is, oh, well, he's – not ready defensively and i'm like have you seen seth jones defensively (laughs) on the power play they've let up so many i mean they're lucky that the leafs didn't score a million on the blackhawks power plays um this last game they haven't been great they've they've allowed quite a few shots against on their own power play so i don't think it would be any worse um (laughs) Well, I'll I'll even agree with you and take it a step further. I think part of that is teams key on Jones because they know he's a skater, but he's an East West. Like he's not, he he can't shake a guy. I cannot recall a single time. Yeah. He doesn't attack the net the way that honestly Korchinski has in his, in a small sample. Yes. But he's shown that that's what he is capable of doing. They can go back to, Go ahead. Sorry, Eric, you go. No, I was just going to say he's elusive in a way that Jones is just not elusive. And so adding that element, you have to respect that. And that's what he needs more time. Bedard needs more time. And they're keying on him. Every team, that's all they're doing is taking away his shot. And they're forcing him to pass. So other guys have opportunities. But if Korchinski's walking down the lane, you can't stay on Bedard. You have to move over and that's going to open it up more. Yeah, I was looking at, so Jay Fresh just posted a thing about like um, undershooting, you know, essentially these guys should have way more goals and the top skater that should have more expected goals based on their shots and where they're shooting from is actually Lucas Reichel. And then Bedard is like third or fourth or something like that. Um, and I'm like, yeah, those kids, and it's because of, of their power play time when they're on the power play together they are able to at least feed off of each other better. And if you add Korchinski to the, that mix, I think like they could seriously go off like the three of them. Um, on top of that, if they really were worried and they wanted, you know, like it's too bad. They think it will be too bad with, you know, a rookie, a 19 year old rookie on the power play. They could go to D and have Seth Jones be, they could do a Keith Seabrook um, type of power play, which is exactly what they ran for, a lot of Kane and Taves rookie year, mostly because they didn't have a lot of, they didn't have like the best, best forwards. Um, but, you know, they had Kane, Sharp, Taves, Keith Seabrook as one of their main power plays. So you could do something similar, put Reichel, Bedard, um, or Bedard, Hall, and then slap a guest Corey Perry there. So it's there you go. the goalie. Um, and then, yeah, have two demon if you really need it. We'll so we'll get I actually goalie. think they should put Gutman on the power play oh. where Perry is, but that's just, he's really, when he was at the Rockford Icehawks, he was really good at getting, um, he had a little bit like of an Andrew Shaw. He's not big, but he's really good at still screening a goalie and making a muck in front of the net. And they scored a lot with him in that role a lot of times. So there's, there's options. They have options to play around with. Yeah, and I think we well, and I guess while we're here, we mentioned a few of the other younger players, and and obviously, Bedard's going to get a lot of talk for obvious reasons on these airways for this season and several beyond it. But um, 
I, I, I think we, we talked about Korchinski a little bit, but I guess Betsy, I, or here, I'll, I'll run it over to Eric first this time. Uh, do you have any impressions of any of the other youngsters, the, the Kaisers, Korchinskis, Reichels, uh, Vlasics of the world? Uh, well, well the, the game that I saw in person, Korchinski and Vlasic both really stood out to me in ways um, Vlasic kind of snuck up on me and I think snuck up on everybody yes. and he's been, he's been really good and really steady. And that's, it's just, it's almost like you can see the confidence and he's not rushing. And that was the thing everybody liked Kaiser for in the preseason. Then all of a sudden seems like it's gone. And then just Korchinski, his ability to, again, just to be elusive and to double back or to make plays and buy time. And whether it's like simple stuff, like for a line change, but you can see there's already, there's a respect for his skating ability that I don't think anybody else on the team, especially defensively um, just gets right now. And so he's, it's little things like that, like subtle little things. I think they have to keep him up. I don't think you can send him back and I don't think, you know, he's made a couple of mistakes here, but he's arguably been, I think you could put, if you want to say, and you could say, you could say Vlasic has been their best defender so far. Korchinski's two or three, like he's right there too. So really impressed by both of them. They both look like, you know, especially as the season wears on, like I'm really excited to see what they can do and how they settle in even more. I mean, that Vlasic pass to Perry, we haven't seen anything like that from him yet. Yeah. You know, so if, if that's a trick that he has up his sleeve as he starts to feel more confident, like that's, that's huge. That's fantastic. That's a great thing. And I think we'll see Korchinski once he starts to score and contribute a little bit more too, whether that's power play, whatever it is. So both of those guys, like big, big thumbs up. Betsy, what about you? Any uh, other observations or uh, responses, I guess, to what Eric was talking about there? I think we go back to the preseason podcast when you were asking questions like, who's going to be Jones's partner, do you think? Mm-hmm. I think I'm the only person that said Vlasic, even though I am a noted Kaiser fangirl. Um, <laughs> I was like, I think it's going to be Vlasic um, because he's, I said at the time, I was like, I think it's because he's farther along and he'll suit Jones as a partner better. Um, because Jones likes to wheel and deal, you know, he likes to go out and do stuff and Vlasic will be better at just staying like he's, he's a stay at home guy. He has, um, the stretch pass that we talked, you talked about, um, he did that in college pretty regularly. Like that's a known thing that he was pretty good at. He didn't get a lot of points for it. He's not like super offensive. Um, but he can, he can thread the needle pretty well, especially long distances, if not for his teammates to score, then to at least get them into the zone. Um, so it it will be interesting to see, again, if he can continue that because he's got more offense in him than maybe people think. Um, but I also don't want people to think he's like going to be Seabrook. Because <laughs> a lot of people did make that. They're like, that's a Seabrook-like pass. And it's like, it is. But I don't think, I don't know if he's going to knock the points in other places um, his end zone passing is not quite as good as Seabrook's was, for example. Um, it's not bad, but it's, and also it could just be that he needs more time to acclimate. You know, you never know. Um, Kaiser, I think Kaiser has not looked as, st- like he just hasn't looked as good. Um, he had like one really bad period um, against Boston, for example. But I feel like some of that is because of who he's skating with. Like, how can you be good if your partner is Tenordian uh, Zaitsev or his fucking Russian name? I can never <laughs> say them right. Zaitsev. Yeah, I always say it wrong. Every time I always say it how I think it should be we, pronounced. We, will, anyway. uh, uh, we apologize to the Nikita Zaitsev fan club on behalf of Betsy. I was I called him stale bread in <laughs> my latest recap. I was like, I just can't. He... It's not it's not all on them, don't get me wrong, but like he is stuttering in a way because his guy is never in tune with him, like at all. When he was skating with Jones, he was they were keeping up with each other, and it's easy to stay calm when your partner is also steady, you know, or mm-hmm. or skating well. How can you when the, the guy is behind you at all times? Like by huge lengths, you know, and there's the the other flip side of that is he's got to learn to play 
with someone like that. And a, an example of that was Nick Letty. Nick Letty had to learn to play with Roosevelt. Roosevelt is not fleet of foot, but he was decent defensively. And Nick Letty wanted to go out and be wild, like a little bit wilder. Um, obviously, Nick Letty is a like looser defenseman than Kaiser mm-hmm. ever was. But at the same time, Letty had to learn how to adjust to his uh, teammate a little bit better. Kaiser needs to do the same. But still, I would I, I just don't understand why they don't have Phillips up and they just have a kid pairing, you know, like a bottom pairing of kids. That would be Phillips is ready, I think, for the NHL. So just okay. let them. I'm, I'm all about like this is a transition <laughs> season. Let the kids play. I want there to be like a forward kid line. I would love to have Gutman, Reichel and Kurashev on a line together because Reichel and Gutman were amazing together in Rockford. Kurashev had some chemistry with Reichel when he was up last time. Let them be a line that just goes out there and takes a bunch of offense. You know, like I just want, yeah. just just let them go wild. <laughs> That's yeah. all I want. Well, well, I guess, you know, I mean, I don't want to, um, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that either. Like, I don't, I don't think your, your point is incorrect. I, I think uh, it just would be interesting to see if maybe that happens later in the season at some point that, they give Phillips the first 20, 30 games or so down in Rockford before they bring him up to Chicago. And then maybe Zaitsev or gets bought out or traded or put on waivers or whatever, or Tornority or whatever. Um, yeah. And then the fourth thing, I think I'm also like, I would like to see Phil Kershaw get back from injury and see if he can help bolster the top six a little bit along with Bedard. Cause I think, um, you know, I, I know we, we've uh, obviously put a lot of our, uh, eggs in the Phil Kershaw basket on this podcast and just his entire operation. Um, and hopefully to see some of that pay off this season, or we might just all have to give up on that. But um, I think that's still, well, we, that will be a discussion ongoing as the season progresses for sure. Not to pick on Kaiser too much, but I, I, he looks overwhelmed to me. He does. And that's what I, I agree. I just, I don't know if it's all his fault. Well, I, I'll take it a little bit further than what you were saying. And I completely agree with you too. Um, that Boston game, and I'm not trying to hang it on him by any stretch of the imagination, but that two on one is what turned the game. And it was fucking Lucic and Pasternak. Like you close out Pasternak every time you give Lucic that shot all day long. And he didn't, he got caught and he froze. And that's what opened it up for Pasternak. And that was your game. Like that's it right there. Why was he so, by himself? I'm sure well, that Tenorti, Tenorti was yeah. trying to pick a fight with somebody in the stands yeah, or something. Not in the um, well, or, it was a broken or, play. It was a bad broken play. Yeah, or ending but, the season of a former Blackhawk or something. I don't know. I, like I, I actually 100 percent agree with you. I think so far in the moments where Kaiser has had to be by himself, he has not done well. But I also don't think any of the other def- the younger defensemen have had to be in those situations. Korchinski hasn't had to defend a two-on-one so far. Vlasic yeah. hasn't had to defend a two-on-one so far. You know, like, we have no idea what they would... Because their partners... Like, Murphy's not been great, but he's been better than, like, the empty shell that is Forty. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. Like, but I also... I was also of the opinion that I thought Kaiser should go to Rockford to start. Um, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. If that maybe if this continues that way, if that's not what happens and I think Phillips comes and takes his yeah, place. I, for I, in my, in my initial, when I did the the article on Kaiser for like this upcoming season, I said, I think he should start. He's had a really great preseason and training and training camp and everything like that. But I still think he should start in Rockford and that Phillips should be up because I think Phillips is ready or at least ready to get a longer stint. Yeah. I, well, I think that, uh, that entire the discussion around Wyatt Kaiser is a good way to we need to like pin this for next September when yeah. in case any prospect or, or young player has a really good preseason that that may not necessarily be indicative of what's coming in the regular season. And there's still plenty of time for Kaiser to turn it around like he might maybe he'll figure it out when thoughts come back home and they they uh, they have the last change and get some more beneficial zone starts or they get a get him a different D partner that Betsy approves of and then and then things turn turn north for him uh, in a hurry. But um, other than that, like I, I still think, you know, I, I think overall, you know, Bedard's going to be awesome. I, I don't think we have any quibbles about that, but seeing Korchinski and Vlasic, especially the, the Vlasic game against the Maple Leafs, like 
And and the fact that that the Hawks had a two goal lead against that Toronto team that, uh, as Betsy correctly pointed out in the recap, is a regular season juggernaut and regular season only, but it was a regular season. So they were in full juggernaut mode in that game. And the Hawks had a two goal lead and held onto it. And, um, you know, Toronto did get some chances as the period went on, but I thought the Hawks actually did a fairly decent job at snuffing them out for most of the third period. And that's that, that whole game was very encouraging to see. And it's nice that, like I wrote about this uh, this morning at the website, just that it's nice to have the Hawks win a game and that the players who stood out didn't just up their trade value to be flipped at the deadline. Like this was Alex Vlasic playing his ass off and he could be here for a long time. Arvid Soderblom played his ass off in net. He could be here for a long time. So there's, you know, that's two big pieces that you're seeing have really big moments early in the NHL season. They they need to do a lot more. They got to keep doing, keep putting on performances like that before you can really start to believe that this is a long-term piece, but it's a hell of a start for both of those guys and several other players. Well, and it sounded like Richardson was specifically putting Vlasic out there against Matthews. So, I mean, that's, that's telling the type of confidence that the coaching staff has in him already too. So yeah, for a player who's just really starting off in his professional NHL career, like, that's pretty awesome. That's fantastic. That that's a that's a thing to be excited about, as you were saying. Absolutely. I'm uh, I, I'm efforting the uh, natural strat trick data, and actually, yes, the the top pairing for the Hawks. I well, I think to Betsy's point, like Vlasic and Jones, that's your top D pairing. So of course they're going to be on the ice against the top offensive threat for the Maple Leafs in Austin Matthews. Although they have several others with Marner and Nylander and what have you, but uh, they were so. Jones and Vlasic were on the ice. Uh, Austin, Matthews, like those are the top two D men on the ice for the Hawks. When Austin Matthews was at the ice and five on five, and the Hawks are in a positive in pretty much every possession statistic that exists during that time. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty. That damn was also, game. yeah, it was also Bedard. That's a fact because Bedard's yes. line, only line that ever, like I think in any of the games, has had positive shot metric numbers. I think. All of them have been, every other line has been negative. Um, and Jones and Vlasic play with Bedard mm-hmm. most of the game. Yeah. And I, I think like the, the other player I want to touch on quickly, um, and it's kind of related to some of the things we were talking about earlier with injuries and such, is that I feel like Lucas Reichel, like there's still moments where Lucas Reichel looks really, really good in the, know just in the flow of play and all that it's just he's had four games he doesn't have a point yet so that kind of sucks and is a little discouraging but um i mean he, he hasn't had a ton of help with line mates and again that's that feels like that's another player that might have a point spurt coming soon because it seems like he's doing a lot of other things correctly he's just not getting rewarded for them yet it's also like early season and i think even when when they were stacked sometimes it takes a while to figure out like personnel and who plays with who and what lines are utilized in what situations and like power play and stuff. And I mean, we even saw it with Reichel a little bit last year where he came up in his first stint, he didn't really do much. And then it took a while. And then when he came back, like he played well with Athens to see you. And then all of a sudden he put up whatever 15 points in 19 games he ended up doing before he got sent back down for that last stretch. Like, it's funny to think about, you know, all the predictions that we made before the season started and it's been four games, but how different some of those things already are. So, I mean, there's a, there's still a ton of stuff to be learned and like, yeah, it's, of course we'd all love it if Reichel already had a couple points and scored a couple goals, but I mean, there's still plenty of time. He's not going anywhere. And I think we'll look up at the end of the year and he'll still, he'll be at, you know, 55, 60 points, somewhere in that range. And I think it'll be a good year for him. It just, it's going to take a while to get there. Why is Athanasiu playing on the, like, why is he playing what is like the fourth line to start games? Like, that's a great question. (laughs) Like, I don't, I get, get, there's like a whole like center issue going on on the team right now like there's a lot of players that aren't really centers or maybe won't be centers long term you've got Reichel who they want to make a center and he's been playing center in Rockford but that might not necessarily be where he should be you've got Gutman who is a center normally but he's a little he's small too um and you've got uh 
Dickinson, who's playing center, and then Athanasiu, who can play center, but he's much better on the wing. And anytime they prop him on the wing, he seems to like just come alive. And then you've got Kurashev, who could be a center, but he's not playing right now. Um, yeah, there's like a lot of players that like they're probably not like their best position is wing, but they're having to play center because there's not a lot of legit. There's not, there's no like Taves, you know, there's no like legit, legit centers on the team. It, it um, did seem weird that because Kurashev was hurt, so they couldn't have the original second line that they wanted that uh, was in the regular season of Kurashev, Reichel, and Athanasiu. So Athanasiu gets pushed down to the fourth line. That did seem like a weird chain of events, but yeah, like, uh, I like Tyler Johnson. I think Tyler Johnson is fine in the top six top nine whatever but he had a nifty goal against toronto on the power yeah. play yeah yeah but and, he, uh, he also biffed a couple against montreal yeah. the other night that should have <laughs> been gimmies also yeah true. and then we none of us really like radish obviously like popped off 20 last year but again who remembers any of them <laughs> and what has he done so far to not be rotated away instead reichel was rotated away Reichel and Athanasiu were flipped in the um, Leafs game for a little while. And what is Reichel going to do with Kachuk and uh, Entwistle? Like, come on. Be, be real fast. Yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> he could do on any line because he's just, he's fast. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, I, it's four games. So I'm not, I'm not complaining about it. I just think it's weird that Athanasiu was put on what is essentially a little grinder line. And other than they were probably like, okay, they can be speedy. Um, but what, I mean, if they just didn't have Donato on the top of my, I don't hate Donato. I, I, he's had some good plays, like, like the, the goal, the wraparound goal, they did have, you know, a good back and forth, for example, when they were going into it, but like, those are like one out of 10. Yeah. Like, it's just, it, it is a, um, like he, I, he was playing on the third line in Seattle. Was he not? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's, you know, and I, I think there were, the the there was scuttlebutt about either Richardson or the Hawks organization as a as a collective entity thought that there was something more in Donato that they were going to get this season and I mean it's 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 okay if he's just a third line guy like that's a perfectly fine role for him to be in it but I think the other argument is I don't know how many other players the Hawks have to throw into the top six over him they have some options for sure but I'm gonna see <laughs> yes okay there I'm you go saying- Donato is 27. Yeah. You're, he's not going to suddenly be something else at 27. His high, his high points is like 30, like, like <laughs> yeah. 31, maybe. Yeah. Like it's yeah. It's weird. Cause there's, I think the weird stat with him was he was like top 20 in the league at like generating shots. Like he got a ton of shots off, even though minutes wise, he was like 150th or something. But it's there's just some modern stats where I'm like, that's great. He generated a ton of shots, but none of them went in. So yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess that's good. If you want tips or rebound, like I I don't understand that, you know, and they don't have any better options. You know, you have to utilize him in that way right now, but yeah, I I don't know how much there is to mine other than kind of what he's shown. Yeah. By the time you're 27 and you've been in the league, whatever seven or eight years that he's been in the league now, like that's a pretty good uh, building block case for that's the type of player you are. He's probably, yeah, he's a third line guy. You put Athanasiu on the top line and then you create the kids line. You've got once Kurashev's back, Kurashev, Reichel, Gutman, let them go wild. Just give them all the soft minutes. Um, You have your, whatever grinder line you want to call Perry Dickinson and Felino, and then mix and match the leftovers because who cares? <laughs> um, and boom, you've got it. I just, I don't care for radish that much. So I don't care that he's not in the top nine. He's fine wherever to me. Um, the only reason you have him in the top nine is you want to flip him to me. Um, I don't think he's long for the Blackhawks world. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got got a few other topics to get to uh, Blackhawks related, and uh, well, obviously Blackhawks related. Who else would we talk about? Um, but we're gonna we're gonna get to all that on the other side of this quick timeout. Yeah. 
Welcome back to Musings on Madison. And as promised before the break, hit a few other topics we wanted to get into. And I think this is going to be a a topic of conversation several points uh for, for at several points over the course of the season, just because of the nature of the Blackhawks roster this year. Um in the last two games, uh, I think it's maybe more than just the last two games, but he, there's been multiple instances of a player from the Blackhawks gets hit, sometimes a young guy, sometimes a veteran. They get hit, and then within a short time frame after a fight breaks out, usually instigated by a Blackhawk player as retribution for the aforementioned hit. Now, I, I think we have a pretty collective uh, similar viewpoint on all of this that um, sometimes like th- this whole – fighting for retribution thing gets a little old. And I, I think the general um, any fights that are just like negotiated before the puck drop and the puck drops and they, they drop the gloves and score off. That just feels dumb. Like I can at least tolerate the ones that build up over the heat of the moment in the middle of a board battle. Two guys decide that they've had enough of each other and they just want to punch each other in the face for a bit. That's at least like I, I can get on board with those a little bit more than the staged ones. But um I know Betsy, you in particular had a grievance with a recent fight that happened in the Blackhawks Maple Leafs game. Uh, so I, I, you mentioned it in the recap and there was some discussion about it in the comments. So I wanted to bring it up here uh, just so you, you could air some grievances once again about that. And maybe Eric and I could maybe maybe offer a few devil's advocate points and see where we go. The devil doesn't need an advocate. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm like a southern preacher right there. That's <laughs> I'm just I'm, I hate that phrase, but anyway, um, Fair enough. because if you're like, if you're thinking of, never mind, I'm not going to go into why I hate that phrase. That's, <laughs> that's taking a tangent. So my issue with the Murphy Gregor hit, um, fight was one Murphy did not like somebody tried to say, well, he hit Bedard a couple times hard and he was trying to set the tone. And I was like, okay, that would make sense if he hit him on the shift right after Bedard, but it was too, Murphy had taken two shifts and the only thing that had happened the shift before that was uh, fumbles McFumblesome falling. Um, and McGregor just <laughs> also, happened also to be- known as the key to Zaitsev for those yes. that aren't aware of Bessie's nickname. So, <laughs> Ice is slippery. He's not the most graceful defenseman. And he fell while Gregor was trying to hit him. But it, yeah. it, there was nothing blown on the play because it wasn't. It wasn't yeah. a hit. It looked it um, looked really gross, and I was glad Zaitsev was okay because the way his head got crunched into the boards, it looked like it could have been a really bad injury. So yeah, at least I'm, that was good. I and I'm like, okay, you if you want to take that as like a hard hit and you can't touch my teammates, fine. My issue was that the timing of it, right off that face off, that the Blackhawks won, and then we're going into the zone. Connor Bedard was shooting the puck. When they like were like you can hear him clack the the puck clack against the boards or the glass because he he missed the net. But what if Connor Bedard's shot had gone in? You would have had a goal in a goalless game, and Connor Bedard's first like beautiful shot be wiped off for fight. Come on, like everybody so, would be upset. So the one point about that is that it, from what I. Remember, and I'm, I'm pulling this up. You may have accidentally heard the audio in the background there, but um, it looked like that was negotiated by Murphy and Gregor, like before the draw, and that as soon sure. as the puck was dropped, like there was no, um, like yeah, but they none didn't of care the other the players results. knew. Like, yeah, so somebody somebody tried to point it out. They're like, well, if all the rest of the players were fine with it, why aren't you? And I was like, how would you know that they knew? Literally, Connor Bedard is sprinting off. Okay, in the, I put a screenshot in the comments because i was like mm-hmm. you can literally see the the gloves have started flying and they haven't started throwing punches yet though connor bedard is like five human lengths into the zone okay that's how fast he is and how quick he got off he won his you know he pushed the puck forward so that he could go get it his two line mates are both going that way the two de- leafs defensemen are back going oh shit and like it was just it might have been negotiated, but on a face-off draw where you're in, like, it's not in the zone, but it's, like, the closest face-off zone in the neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't even wait to see if they win, and you could have had offensive zone time in a scoreless game against one of the most offensive teams in the league. That's, I think, bad timing, okay? Yeah. Like, that's that's yeah. not great timing. And again, if Connor Bedard's shot had gone in, 
how people <laughs> would have been complaining. The only yeah. reason people are like, no, it's fine. It's because that shot didn't go in. But what if it had, would you have wanted Connor Bedard's first, like, Ooh, that's a shot um, <laughs> to get wiped yeah. off because of that. Yeah. No, I and I think that's a fair point. I, I think I would say, say like one thing about the way that rush developed off the draw was because Gregor was the left wing on the draw for Toronto and he immediately skated towards Murphy without giving any type of fuck about the other Hawks, whoever the right wing was for the Hawks of that draw. So I think there it may not have looked as threatening of a chance if Gregor was committed to playing his role instead of getting into the fight. Um, I mean, but I, I, try to play real it, hockey because it's not great. Fair points. I think the general <laughs> idea is like an attacking. It's on the attacking half of the ice. Connor Bedard's taking the draw. No, he hasn't been great at winning faceoffs this year, but still, it's Connor Bedard. It's just it's it's a time and place thing. It's like if you know you, what you really want to do is you want to negotiate that in a defensive zone draw so that Gregor fucks up a yeah. Toronto scoring chance to start this fight. It's just like I don't. There's. When when they want to settle these scores again, I, I don't get too wrapped up about these in game four of an 82 game season. I would hope that if this was three years from now and the Hawks are in the second or third round of the playoffs and they're not trying to settle scores like this in the third period of a one goal game, that'd be really fucking stupid. And I hope that they would recognize that, um, recognize that situation and let this thing go. And but you can also like just reverse engineer that that uh that thought process too well if you're not going to do that in the middle of a playoff series why are you doing it now but i guess you know send a message or team camaraderie whatever yeah. whatever like all the hockey players say it and sometimes it just feels like they are just confirming their own biases every time they say that and i don't know if i believe them when they say it has an effect in the room that i feel like they're just saying that because that's what every hockey player has said in the history of hockey and I'll admit that I don't, like I said, I don't care. Like, I don't mind fights for stepping up for your teammates. I think that's fine. I did I did think it's weird that some people were arguing, well, Gregor was targeting Bedard. He hit him twice. And one of them, he did hit him hard. But, like, that's hockey. If you're a meatball and you're, like, happy for fights, how are you not happy for big hits? Big clean hits. As long as it's clean, what does it matter, right? Like, obviously, we don't want Bedard to get hurt even on a clean hit. But, like, that's hockey. You're watching the sport that you like, and it has hard hits. Uh, get over it. Uh, <laughs> and after that, Gregor still had, like, three more hits, you know, like three or four more hits. Uh, he didn't stop because Murphy fought him, you know, because he didn't see anything wrong in what he did, which because he didn't do anything wrong. Um, so you can sit there and say that you're – what message is being sent Cause he didn't, his behavior didn't change. <laughs> there, so there was that point as well. There, um, I we have seen in the past where people have changed. Um, when Boland made Marchand look dumb in the Boston series, you could see Marchand kind of like pulled back. You know, do you remember that? Like Andrew Shaw made him kind of look ridiculous and then Boland made him look ridiculous and they didn't fight. They just went at him hard. And I think like, who was the one that like, did the flinch at him and um, like, like he was going to hit him, but he didn't. And Marshan like flinched backwards. I thought, I thought Marshan made Boland flinch. I thought it was the other way around. Um, but either way, all I know is that like Marshan didn't play as well or as hard in those last few games of Boston. And it was after one of them did something to him. Um, and then Hosa has without fighting made several people, including Corey Perry, <laughs> look well, like idiotic and their their behavior changed slightly because of it and, and it didn't didn't involve fists at all and and i just want since you mentioned Corey perry i wanted to bring up there was a clip going around in the first period of uh ryan reeve talking a bunch of shit to Corey perry Corey perry scored the game-winning goal on monday night ryan reeve skated six minutes so i think we yeah. know who won that argument eric though i want to bring you in and get your thoughts on this whole argument and discussion or whatever we're having here uh, anybody else who wants to learn anything about Ryan Reeves, go watch, uh, go Google Ryan Reeves, Arbor Zakai, who's on Montreal and enjoy that clip. Um, okay. no, uh, but as I'm like talking about this, you know, I'm applauding a fight, but then in the meantime, I'm going to go oh, on Seattle, say, Colorado. Are you watching that game too? No, I was talking about when Zakai oh, took okay. it to Ryan Reeves. The other I night. gotcha. Um, but no, th- that Boston game to me, they were chasing, they were down a goal. Dickinson, I still don't know why he got a misconduct. I'm still waiting to hear that. Yeah. Um, but Nobody I think it, it was Gutman who got taken out and Dickinson jumped in. 
that negated the power play. And then that put them down another forward after they're already down hall. So, I mean, that's not something that benefits your team in any way, you know, and they were a step behind chasing Boston for the rest of the game. And, you know, they were two skaters down and again, it negated a power play. Yes. The power play has not been nails by any stretch of the imagination so far. So you could say maybe they don't score on that regardless, but you're still, you have another forward on your bench then. So you're not thin chasing, you know, the, mm-hmm. the way that you are. So that's, I don't know how that benefits your team, you know, in, and maybe in that moment, like you think he's really hurt and you feel like you have to do something. But I think that's kind of a thing that we've seen happen a lot. Like the amount of times that that's positively impacted a game. Like I can't really recall that. And, you know, but then Betsy's here, like talking about the times when not fighting has, you know, helped benefit a team and it's kind of towing that line. So that's, already, you know, a situation four games into the season where, and that's one of the two games that they've lost where, you know, was that the difference? Maybe, maybe not, but it definitely, I I don't see the benefit of that. I don't see the benefit of doing that. So I'm on board, you know, I I don't, you don't need to chase the fights. They're going to happen. They're going to happen sometimes, but it it feels like there's been a pretty significant amount already in the first few games, Uh uh, especially compared to kind of what we saw from them last season. And it hasn't been Perry and it hasn't been Felino. you know, it's, it's Dickinson, it's Murphy. And that's kind of a little bit surprising in its own way too. Yeah. And I, I think the, the phrase you use there of chasing fights, I think that's when it starts to get a little exhausting for me that you're, you're going at, you're going out of your way to, to do this. And it's not, if, if the fights develops naturally within the flow of the game, it's still slightly weird that hockey is like the only sport where you can do this, but um, whatever, if it develop if it develops within the natural flow of the game, fine, cool, go ahead, knock yourself out or well, knock the other guy out. Don't knock yourself out, but um, just don't, when, when you chase it, that's usually when the instigator penalty gets involved or you get an extra misconduct or dumb other dumb shit happens. And then you're just creating you're creating opportunities for the other team to beat you by doing this thing that sometimes seems a little selfish to me that you're doing it. And, you know, I, I still I, I still struggle to identify with the uh, the things all the hockey players say about how it helps in the room and all that. I just I I cannot wrap my head around that concept and i know i was never a professional hockey player so maybe i just don't get it i don't think anybody though if gutman gets hit and nobody jumps in to pick up the guy that hit him do you really think he's going into the locker room and like he's like (laughs) my teammates don't have my everyone hates me (laughs) yeah well, and think about, especially by the time you've gotten to the NHL, however many thousands of hockey games he's played, I'm sure there's been tons of times he's been lit up and nobody's done anything about it. And you just get back up and you keep playing and you move on. Like, I know that that's the thing. What's the difference? Why is it sometimes this is a big reaction in a fight and other times it's just a hit and it's a natural part of the game? Like, checking is a part of hockey you don't have to respond like that every single time, especially when it's a clean hit. Or, and they're upset. Like, why don't you react with, you know, play them harder? You know, uh, (laughs) there's a, like Murphy is a great, like he hits and he checks hard. He could just do that to Gregor over, like give him a taste of his own medicine. Good, strong, clean hits. You know, he doesn't have to drop the gloves there. Um, Which by the way, the thing I was thinking of was the Marchand Shaw fight, not the thing. The Bolin thing was he tried to make him flinch and Marchand didn't, but people were like, there Marchand it is. Stopped, Thank you. stopped playing well after that game. Like he wasn't playing as well. Of course, half Boston was really fucking hurt. So who knows? But anyway, um, I just don't, I like, there's, there's other ways I think that it could be handled in a hockey way that is like, again, I don't mind fights. I don't mind sticking up for your teammates, but in certain instances where you are, it is detrimental to your team. And the, Eric's example is more detrimental than my example. My example was, I don't think that's a great time to do it. Please don't, you know, like just don't. Um, but there wasn't any gear. It wasn't a power play. It wasn't guaranteed zone time, um, that kind of stuff, but just hit hard yourself, like go out there and, and hurt them the way that they're hurting you in a legal <laughs> clean way. So uh, does, do the Montreal Canadians hate Kirby doc? Cause nobody fought Tenorti after uh, Tenorti, essentially ended Kirby Doc's season 
by the way. I saw he's they're thinking he's out long term. Yeah, six months. Uh, it sounds yeah. like at least. Yeah. I think they need, the NHL needs to like be like be like, hey, please don't hit along. Like maybe don't <laughs> try to knock people into the board, like into the benches because more like there have been a couple of injuries from that. Yeah, it's not exactly safe, but yeah, they're they they all hate him up there. That's how yeah. it is. I so I don't know. It's just it's it's such a it's such a weird part of the game and i i, I don't I, I don't think i'll ever understand it even like as someone who i feel like i've i've watched hockey for a pretty good amount of time and i i try to like i i think i fully recognize that pro athletes are exist in a world completely different from uh the rest of us and uh, but i still just th- this is the one thing that like i just cannot i cannot see the perspective that they are sharing when they talk about this type of thing and i don't know if i ever will I'd much rather see go score a goal and skate yeah. by the bench and point at that dude. Wasn't <laughs> yes. there? You go. That's way more fun. That's yeah. way better. Yeah. I feel like was it Q that said one time like he was like he got mad at somebody for getting into a fight, um, and he was like he said something like go score a goal instead or something like that. Um, was it Q? I, like it was somebody I in. Feel like- I feel like it was kind of like beat him on the scoreboard or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was beat him on the scoreboard. It was, it was just that, and it's not. Q was fine with fighting when it was necessary. He just was like, you know, pick your, pick your time. He he sat, um, Shaw after a fight in 2014, and I remember people being like, "Oh, Shaw hasn't played for a while." And it was literally after the fight. Oh, maybe he got hurt, and no, it was because he was like, "That was a stupid ass fight. Why'd you do that?" Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> Don't do that. And and like you know, battle. Rich he Quinville was also a former hockey player uh who I believe played before Richardson's era. So Quinville would have been more of the old school, like where fighting was even more widespread in the game than it is now. So I, I don't he, think it's like he it, still started Brandon Bolig in a Stanley Cup final game. So let's not also, give him all no, the credit in also the world true. there. Also very true. <laughs> like I'm we're not trying to say that he <laughs> 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 Um, he for some reason he thought Bullig was a good player though. Like he played him a lot during um the 2014 season. Yeah. Like why? But he did. He played him a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, I I know we have reached the end of the the hockey things we need to talk about if Brandon Bullig's name came up. So uh but before we move on to our uh to our usual food take discussion, any other Blackhawks related thoughts uh, before we wrap this all up? I mean, they have a chance to come back. This is a pretty daunting road trip, especially to start the season, you know, with a uh, newer team, kind of with some older guys who maybe washed up and some younger guys who are maybe not even washed yet. Um, <laughs> the the fact that they showers. could, no, they have not. Um, the fact that they could come home, I mean, depending on what goes on, you know, in Colorado, it's hard not to be kind of pretty positive about the way that the team has looked so far and like the, the overall road trip, I think regardless of whether or not they win or lose in Colorado, so long as they don't get totally blown out. Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty positive. You know, we're, we'll always find things to talk about, but uh, overall, like, yeah, it's so far so good. Exactly. I, I think that's a good way to describe it so far. So good. Well, and then if that's the case, then I guess we can uh, uh, reclaim our mantle as the best food-themed hockey podcast on the internet. And Betsy, you have a, a food a food prompt or discussion or question or something to uh, to bring yeah. for this one? Yeah, I just want to know. So it's a thing in the South. Do you guys eat ambrosia salad? Eat a what? So this is this is another salad that's not a salad from the South thing here, isn't it? It's that's a, the one with like marshmallows and Jello, and it's it's a salad. It just doesn't have lettuce, um, and it's it's a salad. It's a fruit salad with most. It's like you have okay. So um, it's marshmallow and coconut, right? Oh, I think, I think so. It's not coconut. Coconut's not usually used in it. Um, it's a fruit salad. It's it's um you're supposed to, to if you're going to be real legit it's got to be canned pineapple canned oranges you can kind of do fresh oranges a little bit more but it's whatever marshmallows you usually middle you can have some coconut in it but i don't 
like I don't, I, we don't usually put coconut in ours. Um, we usually use uh, cherries and then yeah. it's mayonnaise. Yeah. Oh God. Some type of dairy, like whipped cream, sour cream. Sometimes yeah. people put yogurt in it, but like mayonnaise is like the most popular. And it's the, the, the key is that most of that fruit has got to be canned. Yeah. Um, I feel like I have seen this. I've, I've just Google it now. I, I feel like I've definitely seen this at some gatherings. I don't know if it was family or friends or what, but I, I am familiar with this. I think it's what's more common among my, the, the food, large food based gatherings that I attend is usually taffy apple salad, which is like Snickers and peanuts and, uh, apples is, is usually in there. Um, but I think I've seen ambrosia. Like it's always, you're looking at it and you're trying to decide if it is the ambrosia salad or the taffy apple salad. Well, I, somebody told me that, that maybe it might be known as another name, uh, that some people will eat something called a Watergate salad. And I looked it up and I was like, that doesn't look the same. It looks green as shit. Um, because it's got, where the hell did Watergate? I need to know how and why it's called the water. I don't know. It's, it's all, like, it's some people call it the, uh, pistachio delight salad. Um, and it's got pistachio pudding where you would put like mayonnaise or whatever. Um, but it's, it's the same thing. It's like put, it's like pineapple, uh, some type of whipped topping. They put like nuts in it. I guess you could put cherries on it and then marshmallows. I'm, um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to the grocery store after this conversation. I'm pretty sure I can go get a thing of pistachio delight right now. So I think that is a very common thing, even up, up this far North. Okay, so, so you've heard of that one. So, yes. okay, so, I have not. All right, so pistachio delayed, I guess, is like a type of, it's not too far off ambrosia salad then. So you guys have like a version-ish of it. Okay. I don't, I've never had pistachio pudding before. I don't think I've ever even seen it. Um, I don't like pistachio ice cream though, so I don't know if I would like pudding. Yeah, me neither, although I feel like now if I... If I see it, I will acquire it and try it and report back for sure. Well, I I asked about it because I like I said I follow that one TikTok where the guy's from um, somewhere in Missouri and he's like, now let's talk about the South. And he brought it up and he was like, now people need to remember, got to be canned. And I remember being like, oh shit, where is it always canned? It is always canned. <laughs> when you get like canned little Mandarin slices, I was like, I forgot. Um, like everything comes in cans. I've the other day somebody was like, I had canned these like canned muffins, and I was like, Excuse me, muffins? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's a strange. I thought I thought that was like a SpongeBob joke, like canned <laughs> bread. Um, but no, apparently that exists. I just have never done it before. I've never seen it before. Um, but I guess lots, lots of things are canned. Like uh, if you don't make your own cranberry sauce at Thanksgiving, because people are like, no, it's got to be the canned kind. It's gross. I don't like canned. I think there's certain things everybody has where you prefer the terrible version that you grew up eating because you have some type of weird nostalgia attached to it. But yeah, I ambrosia salad. I feel like that was a thing I saw a bunch when I was a kid at like block parties and cookouts and stuff. Yeah, like, that's I exactly ha- what I'm thinking of, Eric. I <laughs> haven't seen it in a very long time. So it almost feels like one of those things that kind of died with the times, at least up here. Yeah, it's still a thing in the South. I don't know if it's as much of a thing, but it's kind of like um, fruitcake. Fruitcake's still pretty regularly. People will bring that and you'll be like, but why? <laughs> yeah yeah well i think i i think like we're being in indiana like there like our corner of the state is definitely more midwestern influenced but there are other parts of like the majority of the rest of indiana is very much like dipping your toe in the south in terms of just overall culture including food so i think there are still some Southern-esque influences in what we do food-wise here. And I have like family roots that go back to West Virginia. And I think that's uh that can be pretty Southern uh, in culture. And yeah. uh, so I, I think there there's, I think there's some things that I, I don't realize that are just normal to me because they've been part of my entire life. And I don't think I realize that they are a, uh, a little bit more Southern than most midwest things are and it feels like eric you might be more of a traditional midwesterner than i am 
Well, I also think growing up, you know, in a bigger city where there's True. a lot more like different cultural stuff and different, you know, food stuff or, and it's possible. It's just kind of like my family and the more European tendencies, you know, mm. that, that we kind of grew up like there's some weird stuff. My aunt went to culinary school. She was making all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, as a kid that you think is just normal. And then when you talk to people when you're older and then they're like, what is that? So <laughs> what is that? Why did you do that? Who but told yeah, you that I was feel a good like, idea. <laughs> exactly. I feel like um, I saw the ambrosia a lot when I was younger. I just I haven't in a long time. Now. All right. Well, I'm ambrosia salad. I'm going to be on keeping my eye out for it at uh, at all yes. at all future gatherings. I want to know, like, to like the like I'm I was trying to remember the last time I had it and if it was mayonnaise or a like cream type of thing, and I'm pretty sure it was mayonnaise. And then I'm thinking, but why mayonnaise and fruit? That's a weird. The Southerns love mayonnaise, though. I want to react to the mayonnaise comments the way that you reacted to Dave camping in cold weather. <laughs> I just, I just want to be no. like, no, why you would know, you do that? No, I just, I learned recently when I was doing grilled cheese that if you put mayonnaise on the outside instead of butter, it tastes even better. And yeah. whoever gave me that tip, it's yes. I know somebody who's a chef, <laughs> and they swear you do mayonnaise, butter, and mustard. And you do like a whip of that for grilled cheese, and they're like, "That's the best grilled cheese you'll ever have in your life." So I've heard, yeah, I've heard mayo before too. Yeah, I just had never done it before. I've always just put down just a butter, squeeze butter. <laughs> it's like the easiest way to do it when. <laughs> so. Squeeze butter. All right. You well. squeeze. <laughs> Well, I think on that note, I, I think that's a good way. Uh, it's a good, good point to end on for this episode. Amusing's on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, thanks to Eric and Betsy for hanging out this evening. Thanks to you for listening. And we will be back next week talking about, oh, let's say like 20 goals for Connor Bedard in the next few games. Uh, we'll talk to you then.